What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You are listening to Intuit from Vulture and New York Magazine. I'm your host, Sam Sanders. And this week, I am joined by not one but two esteemed colleagues, Catherine Van Arendonk, Vulture critic who covers comedy and television, and Nick Kwa, Vulture's podcast critic. Hello to you both, and thanks for being here. Hey. My pleasure. This is delightful. Catherine, you've been on several times. You're like a, an Intuit VIP. What advice would you give to first-timer Nick as he comes on the show this week? So, Nick, this is a hard go. You know, you're really going to want to have to settle in and focus. It's a very serious endeavor, I find. The vibe is like 60 minutes. That's what you're trying to... Awesome, awesome. I have my yeah. suit on. I'm here okay. to play for my rookie contract. It's going to be great. Uh-huh. <laughs> so this week we have two big stories to talk about. The glorious return of last summer's buzziest TV show, The Bear, uh, I'll let y'all know right now. It's kind of won me over. I really love it right now. Oh! Yay! And then we'll talk about something I'm not at all into. <laughs> Prince Harry <laughs> and Meghan Markle and their very expensive business deals and how those deals are flopping. Nick Kwa has been covering this. And Nick, you're going to tell us what this says about celebrity deals in general. I mean, I think the main point is, y'all stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> do it better. The point is do it better. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. I just want to take a brief second to ask you both about the summer story I just cannot seem to escape. And it is the never-ending rollout for this summer Barbie movie. You know the movie. Hey, Barbie. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. This marketing campaign keeps reaching new heights. Just this week, the Barbie marketing people rolled out a hot pink Barbie house-themed mansion in Malibu that is on Airbnb. Apparently, it's Barbie's mansion, but you can book Ken's bedroom. You guys following this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yes. How can uh-huh. you not? <laughs> right. It's everywhere. <laughs> How do we feel about it? How do we feel about it? I, I, I don't know. I mean, look, I'm excited about Barbie, but I am not in the film world. So, like, I am much closer to, like, a normie about Barbie Oppen- Boppenheimer in general than I know a lot of our <laughs> film colleagues are. Um, and so I have the privilege of being able to observe it from enough of a remove that I am sort of amused by how much Barbie stuff there is and without, like, my own personal inbox is not filling with Barbie things, right? Which is at, at one point when I know it becomes, like, unbearably oh, yeah. oppressive. Okay. Right, yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So you're kind of um, safe from it. Nick, what about you? Yeah. Me? Well, Sam, here's my hand. Here's my vein. Pipe all of it into it. Um, <laughs> I'm very, I'm actually really into this because we are like steadily in this era of like pure corporate like machination, right? Uh, we just walked out of a, a period in which like the Super Mario Brothers movie was the biggest <laughs> film on the planet. Um, and so, Everything I've heard about this movie, everything I've read about this movie, everything I've seen about it from the trailers to everything, suggests that this is a profoundly strange movie. You guys ever think about dying? Um, and this, I think, is like the best possible outcome <laughs> for this kind of really? corporate synergy. And so, with the uh, avalanche of like marketing, branding stuff that's fallen from it, the memes, the the, the activations, I think is a marketing term for it. Yes. Just the sort of like visual imagery of it. If you're going to give me this, give me this. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I will say it's reached a fever pitch. Besides the Malibu Barbie Mansion, now there are officially licensed hot pink Barbie martini glasses you can buy on Amazon. At one point, there was speculation that even making the film itself might have exacerbated a global pink paint shortage. I mean, I just feel like with all this hype, this movie better be Oscar worthy. It better be amazing. I'm going to be so mad if I wear my pink Barbie tracksuit uh, opening night of Barbie that I sit there in this movie and it's not good. The last year of marketing would have been for naught. 
You know, I, I don't know if what I'm hoping for is something that's necessarily good. Whoa, whoa. Is, Aren't you is, is always something... hoping for something that's no, no. good? You're a critic. Okay, here's, here, I'm, I'm specific. I'll get specific here. The thing I'm okay. specifically looking for is something that would like be that would just melt my brain. It could be mm. so good. It could be so bad. It could be so strange. So you need I like cocaine need bear energy for this movie. Absolutely. I need like five cocaine bears in one Barbie shoe. That is specifically what I'm looking for from this experience. <laughs> okay. I just... It uh, last note to close on this. It has been so interesting to see Barbie push the hell out of its movie and Oppenheimer kind of not be able to do as much because you look at the subject matter of Oppenheimer, they can't do an Oppenheimer Malibu beachfront Airbnb. <laughs> it wouldn't work given the plot. It's so great. I love it so much. How do you market that movie? How how do you get how people hype for the end of the world? Let you know? me tell you how you market Oppenheimer. You let Barbie keep on doing what they're yeah. doing. <laughs> yeah. It helps them. It, it does. Helps them. Is Barbie if you still in doubt? All right, more on Barbie soon on this show because we can't escape it. Uh, but I do want to have a discussion about other things. So, um, this is coming from a place of wanting to start fresh and clean. To start, The Bear is out, season two. Critics, including you, Catherine, loved season one. Uh, this show... Let's describe it really quick. It's all about a dysfunctional family restaurant in Chicago that with the help of a new young chef who comes in, uh, they all want to elevate this restaurant into a Michelin star level establishment. But there's lots of family drama, lots of yelling, and lots of inspirational montages set to music and with food prep. How would you describe this show, both of you? Okay, so the way I would describe The Bear is that it is coming out of the last several years of small half-hour shows where people say, is it a comedy or is it a drama? And it is, in mm -hmm. particular, the kind of show that is using a personal history, a traumatic personal history, to inform the kind of situation that in a, an earlier era of TV would have been a comedy and now is very much tipped over into a drama space, right? So it's about this restaurant. And, and like quite earnest in this new yes, season. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's go about ahead, this restaurant. It's about this family. It is about their very dysfunctional interfamily dynamics. It's about um, ambition increasingly in the second season, which I think is really mm -hmm. exciting and, and interesting and fun. Um, it's about what it is like to have a creative brain that runs up against capitalism constantly, which, you know, mm -hmm. appeals to me a lot. Um and it's about found families, which I'm a sucker for. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just this idea that the kitchen and restaurant staff become a family. You see that even more in season two. And you also see these beautiful moments of meditation on food service as an act of service mm -hmm. and a craft and almost a higher calling. You really drink this Kool-Aid, huh? Yeah, I do. Why? Because I love this, Richie. I love this so much, dude. Did you know that when this restaurant opened 12 years ago, it won the best restaurant in the world the same year? It's retained three stars because we have a waiting list that's long. 5,000 people waiting at any given moment long. Do you see their faces when they walk in here? How stoked they are to see us and how stoked we have to be to serve them? It struck me as beautiful and profound in a way I did not expect. Yeah. 
there's this one scene in season two where the guy who's ostensibly the host for the restaurant talks all about how this is his way of giving his life to service. It's really beautiful. A couple years ago, I had a drinking problem. And I got sober. I'm good now, you know? Like, I feel healthy, and I'm happy, and I'm grateful. And through that experience, I learned about acts of service. And I just like being able to serve other people now, you know? It's really, really beautiful. And and they managed to, in that, I mean, when describing it this way, I could imagine somebody who, for whatever reason, has not seen this show thinking, like, that sounds, like, what well, the that hell? sounds incredibly <laughs> cheesy and trite. And, like, we're really talking about, like, the host of a restaurant giving their lives to service. And I, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot overstate how much that episode does to both um, recognize its own up its own assness and to nevertheless persuade you of the appeal of exactly the thing that he's describing. You know, I used to work for this guy who used to say that taking care of people at the highest level was like working at a hospital, you know, like it was like medical. That's a little much. I'm just saying, I think that's why restaurants and hospitals use the same word, hospitality. Yeah, oh shit, hospitality. It's a, the episode seven is my favorite of the season. Oh, the Richie episode? Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, my, oh my God. Evan yes. Wasbacharach, amazing actor. <laughs> he plays one of the family members who are trying to turn this restaurant around. But he is kind of hot-headed. He yells too much, has some anger issues. And season two was about how he tamps those things down to be a part of a team. Nick, did you like season two? Yeah, I, I, I loved it. Yeah, I, I actually had similarly ambivalent feelings about the first season as you did, I think, Sam. Like, there was something about the tightness and error focus of the first season that yeah. felt more limiting than not to me. Exactly. Um, but, you know, Catherine's absolutely right. Like, there's there's a way in which, like, the sort of on-paper description of this show, particularly the second season, can be kind of cheesy-seeming. But the show, like, kind of lives in its, like, sharp edges, Um in addition to everything that is kind of just kind of like warm-hearted and and joyful about the show, it's also like a really punishing show in many ways. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard. It's also about people kind of trying to escape themselves, like escape the stuff that you carry out of your childhood, but also the self-loathing that you have. And also the kind of dual nature of work, which is the thing that's sort of most interesting to me in the sense of work is both liberation, which is what I think the, the seven episode with Richie primarily kind of fixate on is like, it's a, it's a space where you can find yourself again. It's a space where you can restart over. But like work is also a trap in a sense of, you can devote your life so much to it that you lose everything else in it, uh, from it. Um, yeah, and that, and that sort of juxtaposition is, is super powerful because, like, I struggle with that uh, <laughs> yeah. as a person who like tries to have a life outside of work and you know, like, do things <laughs> yes. at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think um, you know your your description of of Richie's arc, Sam, is is a hundred percent correct, but it is also an arc this season about somebody who has never really known exactly where he fits. I mean, he right, is right. he is part of their mm-hmm. he's part of their family, but he's actually crucially not actually a family member. He calls it's, everyone cousin. Yeah. They all call him cousin. He is no one's cousin and has always mm. kind of been just 
a side figure in this group. He's also always been a side figure in the previous iteration of this restaurant. He's worked there, but he's not really a trained chef. He's worked the register. He's good with people. He knows that he's good with people, but he doesn't understand how to Uh apply that. And there is something that is so incredibly optimistic and like gorgeous and again could be cheesy and is instead so so poignant about the way yeah. that he finds a, a like a purpose for himself at this later point in his life it's gorgeous say hi to Carmen for me yeah we'll do thank you he believes in you you know <laughs> what makes you say that he told me he said you're good with people he's not wrong Well, and, like, this is one of the things in the show that I was like, is it working for me or is it not? All of these plot arcs of redemption Mm. or trying to find yourself, especially with this character, they at some moments could feel like they were channeling some overly optimistic, almost alcoholics, anonymous energy. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if that really tracked to the way life plays out in real life. But it all feels more real this season. It all just seemed to work in ways that season one might have gotten close to but didn't actually get. There's so many ways. I mean, I almost want to run down with you what works for me now that didn't work in season Mm -hmm. one. I feel like my biggest beef with season one was that it was just about the two main characters, these two yelling white guys, and not nearly enough about all the supporting characters who were women and people of color who I actually found a bit more interesting. Um, Season two solved that problem. We get a lot of time with those other characters and we see who they are and see their lives so much more. There's an entire episode devoted to the pastry chef who probably got 10 words in season one, but now he's fully developed. Like, I like that. They've also taken this show out of the kitchen more. There were moments by the end of season one where I was like, if I have to see one more scene of them run around this kitchen and screaming, I'm going to start screaming too. Like, take me somewhere else. They do that with this season. Um, I feel like all of the critiques I had of season one have been solved in season two. Catherine, how often does this happen? You have tweeted Mm -hmm. and said... You know, it's very hard for any good season one of a show to be followed by a good season two. The Bear does it, and season two is better. How did they pull this off? Yeah, so there's a couple things that I I really – I want to double down on that statement, first of all, because second seasons can be just famously nightmarish. Um, You know, this tension between trying to recreate the thing that you – that made everyone like it in the first place. And yet you have to bring in enough new things so that people aren't saying like they're just spinning their wheels now. They have no new ideas. Uh, Season one tends to be also something that's been living in somebody's head for a long time until it finally Mm. got made, right? And then the, the nightmare situation looked exactly like what was happening on paper for The Bear Season 2, which is that it's suddenly a huge hit. The studios are all like, great, make Season 2 as fast as possible, and you're pushing something Mm -hmm. out the door before you have time to develop it. So the question is like, how did that not turn out to be what happened here? There are a couple of explanations. One of them clearly is that, you know, the creative uh, people behind this are, are very smart, knew what they were doing, just had a great sense of what the most interesting directions were going to be. But I think, you know, in the middle of the writer's strike, it's really 
important to also point to the fact that season one was developed with an incredibly small writer's room and Mm. partly Mm. in the interest of um, needing to create a season two faster, but also because suddenly it now had more budget and more leverage, uh, had Mm. a bigger writer's Mm. room, right? More voices went into... So what you're saying is more good writers and more good voices in the room make for better shows? Yeah, isn't that so weird and counterintuitive? I know, (laughs) I know. Yeah. (laughs) It is a demonstration. I, I really love the way that season two on screen... maps onto season two behind the scenes, this idea that like a lot of people suddenly had just a little bit more resources than they did before. Right. And uh, like more voices become involved, which is we see more of those voices Mm -hmm. on screen. You have just a little bit more money, a little bit of time, not a lot. I, from what I hear, they were really pushing toward the end. Um, And I want other shows to look at, the success of this and say like, huh, maybe if we paid writers, like interesting. This worked. This is doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't uh, that great? I, like, yes. Good. TV. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> TV. They are, good they TV are speaking good. to my concerns. For people who have heard this conversation and are still on the fence about whether they should watch The Bear on FX in 30 seconds or less, make the case. Go. Uh, do you ever did you ever like anything that Anthony Bourdain has ever put on television? Think about this. This if you like that, you will love mm. this and uh, so much more. I like yeah. that, Catherine. Uh, my thirty seconds is: Do you like good television? Do you <laughs> like the television where people say like? Man, that show was great. Like, and and not the kind we all know what a Vanderpump version of good TV is. Not that kind of good TV, <laughs> the, which is its own category. Yeah. This is the kind where people were like, it was just yes. so good. Like that. That's what this yeah. is. Yeah. I will say last selling point: the soundtrack this season. It is mm. giving. Mm. Re- really good divorce dad Spotify playlist energy, <laughs> and I kind of like it. I kind of like it. They got the Bruce Springsteen all up in there. There were Counting Crows showing up for a second. I was like, okay. There was a Weezer. Okay. There was a yes. Weezer. Yes. Okay, more with Catherine and Nick after the break. But first, you know what I'm about to ask. I know. At this point, you've probably stopped hearing the words that come out of my mouth when I get to this point of the show. But let me tell you something. In honor of Independence Day, in just a few days, I want to say freedom isn't free. We can't give you this podcast for free unless we have some support from you. So help us do that. Go find the show and review and rate it. I want to bastardize one of my favorite Bill Pullman quotes from Independence Day uh, to really, really make the case for this. All right. All right sir. Good morning. Good morning. We are fighting for our right to get more ratings and reviews. And should we get it, we're getting that goddamn pizza party. Yes, the one I've told you about. But until then, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We love pizza. We're going to keep asking. We're going to survive. Today, we want your review and tell a friend to celebrate into it. Five stars, please. Thank you, dear listeners. Happy Independence Day weekend. 
Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong, and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. All right, we are back. You're listening to Intuit from Vulture and New York Magazine. Still here with my two guests, Catherine Van Arendonk, Vulture critic who covers comedy and television. Nick Kwa, Vulture's podcast critic. Nick, you're in charge now because I want you to break down for us all this drama with two former royals, Harry and Meghan, who had big, expensive, lucrative business deals with Spotify and Netflix. The buzz is those deals are flops. Nick, you're covering this. Can you catch us up? What the hell is happening here? Well, it's complicated. Um, okay. I like that well. Oh, that was save that one. Save that for the sound deck. Okay, I'll give you like a 30, maybe like a minute rundown as, as best as I can. So okay. um we're vaguely sort of orally kind of nominally aware at least that about uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's sort of departure from the royal family. And uh, a couple of years ago when all of that happened, like they sort of rode this huge wave of like public interest about what went down with, with that split. Mm. So has anybody said, I'm sorry you had to make that move or I'm sorry you felt that you had to do that because you felt we were not supporting you? No, sadly not. The... They sort of signed a bunch of deals with, you know, Netflix and Spotify on, on one hand, but also Penguin, Random House, uh, sort of book deal for, for Prince Harry writing a memoir and cut to the present. Turns out uh, not a bunch of those deals have been terribly productive. Uh, the Netflix deal has produced that sort of docu- that docuseries about your life. No one knows the full truth. We know the full truth. Which um, my understanding did fairly well. Uh, and the Spotify deal. Yeah, I mean, I watched it. I don't think it helped anybody, though. I, you know, listen, the, the notion of the concept of quality about the actual product, we should set aside <laughs> for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. In yeah, terms yeah. of the pure sort of production, uh, Spot- the Spotify deal only yielded sort of one show, which was uh, Meghan Markle's Archetypes. It's time to cut through the noise. An interview show in which she, like, interviews a bunch of uh, famous women uh, about, like, various words that are living yes. against women. Yeah. Greek insults that meant women were dogs in heat. For a long while, nothing else happened uh, other than Prince Harry's memoir. Um, and we got word from Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago that uh, the that Spotify was not renewing their deal with Archwell, for which they paid uh, reportedly over $20 million. Like, And then a couple of days after that, uh, uh, a man named Bill Simmons, who's a very famous podcaster and also now a high-ranking executive at Spotify, um, you know, just 
said something uh, really kind of interesting in the middle of a completely different kind of discussion. Oh, let's say it. Let's yeah, say so it. Yeah, so he called them, like... Yeah, he called them, quote... Fucking grifters. Fucking grifters. Yeah. I wanted to say it first. No, Sorry, please. it just is such a fun phrase. Let, let, let's just I wish I had been involved in the Megan and Harry leave Spotify negotiation. <laughs> the fucking grifters. That's a podcast. Rolls off the tongue wonderfully. And it just... It's, I, I listened <laughs> to that, that part of the episode multiple times. It comes out in the middle of a discussion of a Washington Wizards basketball player's like trade value. Um, and he just, it kind of just wow. has this non sequitur kind of quality to it. Like this dude has been yeah. thinking about it for a long time. Totally. Um, and, you know, this is not yeah. the first time Simmons has talked shit about uh, Prince Harry specifically on his show. Uh, I believe a couple of months ago, he, uh, on, on again, in the middle of another discussion, he sort of goes on his side saying, like, I'm embarrassed to like share Spotify with this dude, launched this guy into the sun, I believe was his phrasing. Wow. wow. This is all so crazy. Long story short, the biggest kind of blazing fire right now of drama is the Spotify business. Harry and Megan were set to make big Spotify podcasts that were going to have millions of downloads. They get $20 million. They only make one show. And then an executive at Spotify calls them fucking grifters. I mean, from the outside looking in, as someone who doesn't cover the podcast industry, Catherine, what does this feel like to you? <laughs> to me, this feels sort of inevitable. Um, it feels okay. a little bit similar to the enormous overall deals that studios have been giving yes, to a lot exactly of right. uh, huge oh. TV name creators. It, it does seem notable that generally in order to get one of these huge overall deals from a studio, if you're a TV creator, you have to have at least created some really good t Made it a exactly show. Right, right. TV shows. <laughs> yeah. um, and so even if you can say like, I don't like the Ryan Murphy Netflix output. You can be like, yeah, I understand why mm -hmm. they gave Ryan Murphy money, even though I think it was an absurd amount of money, right? Too much In money. this case, yeah. it feels like exactly the same kind of thing, except it appears they gave them that much money just because of like, wow, everyone has heard of Harry and Meghan. Like, because they were famous. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's lock that yeah. down. And like, no one has ever seen any kind of podcasting output from them before. And so, it, yes, I, I I don't know if I blame them for being fucking grifters. Mm -hmm. Like his mother was killed. He's traumatized. He needs private security. He doesn't want to be in the family that did that. He's He needs a fair amount of money. Where is he going to get it from? These idiot people who are just going to write a job giant check. Do I blame him? Not really. But like, come on, Spotify. No. What the hell? Well, and, and, and this is my next question for you both. Like, can we actually blame more people than just Harry and Meghan? Nick, the title of your piece about this was titled, Spotify is equally responsible for the royal podcast flop. It takes two to tango. Aren't these big companies also acting stupidly as well? Why'd you give them $20 million, right? Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. You know, first of all, I actually do think that, you know, the problem here was that they did not uh, produce. It did not sound like they ran a particularly good shop over at Archwell. Uh, but the point, or just so the thing I wanted to argue was, like, all of this is a system, right? <laughs> Nobody, mm -hmm. if you're going to give a 20 plus million contract reportedly to two people who are famous but who have not done or have much of a track record producing something in the medium that you gave them a contract for, that's a problem. And it also reflects the era that we just had left in the podcast business, where Spotify in particular, but they're not alone, they, they did start this sort of trend of like doling out these mega deals to celebrity talent that um, had no prior sort of expertise or track record 
in podcasting specifically. So in addition to Archwell, they like signed huge deals with Kim Kardashian. Reportedly, Ava DuVernay had a huge deal oh, as well. Oh yeah, Kim Kardashian had a podcast. Right, she had the one true crime criminal justice reform podcast that largely came and went. I didn't really hear many people or anybody talk yeah. about it. Um, a lot of so a bunch of these deals came out, and it caused this gigantic like inflation. <laughs> like, but again, as as sort of Catherine pointed out, like we we it, this is not specific to podcasting necessarily. Like we walked, we just walked out of a very flush era for entertainment at large. And now like the tide has pulled back and kind of everybody on the beach kind of looks a little naked at this point. Are we entering a moment, whether it be in podcasting, in streaming, where what is actually being symbolized by Harry and Meghan seeing these deals kind of blow up is a new era for the entertainment industry where there are fewer bigger deals and less blind trust of celebrities to I I audience. would like to be able to say that there will be fewer bigger deals but I think it's actually a sort of mixture of the two things that you said um I think we are entering this era of uh, restriction of a much more conservative kind of entertainment spending. And I do think there will be a lot, for any kind of deal that gets made, I do think there will be a lot less blind trust, regardless of whether you're Harry and Meghan or, you know, any other kind of creator. It does feel like there's going to be more studio oversight. There's going to be more notes. There's going to be a lot more conservative bets. But as a part of that conservative bet, I do think there are still going to be creators who are going to be getting these like a few large famous creators who are going to be getting these huge deals because that's the nature of right. what a conservative choice is, right? You want to put all your chips on Ashonda. On Ashonda. Ashonda rhymes like 100%. Yeah, she'll make you a Bridgerton. Exactly. So and and the result is you know just as Nick was pointing out for everyone else who has been, you know, all these layoffs everywhere, all of that money is going to get pooled into what feels like a safe bet, a Harry Potter show for instance. You cannot see my expression right mm-hmm. now, but you can picture it. And all of the other kinds of smaller shows that, you know, are not going to get made because you need all of that money to make Harry Potter again. Yeah. So, and of course, that's a kind of self-defeating loop, right? Because right. If, if the money does not go into bets that could produce the next Ryan Murphy yes. or right. in the podcast, or line, Shonda. the yeah. next Jorogan, I guess. You're on a ramp that ends at some point. Mm. Yeah. That's very scary for everybody involved. Yep. So I feel like the moral of today's episode is trust creatives who know what they're doing. Give them enough time and enough writers to make something good like The Bear Season 2. And stop trusting people with no proven track record to make good things they've never made before with too much money. That's it. Yes. Concur. Correct. There you go. Carmi over Harry and Megan. That's it. it. There it is. Team Carmi. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Before we close, I got one little last pop culture tidbit that I just want to share with you and our listeners. Did y'all see and hear Tom Hanks' niece losing her mind on that reality show (laughs) Claim to Fame? I just want to make sure y'all heard it and have a chance to play that audio. You know what I'm talking about? I missed it playing. I saw it on Twitter, but go for it. Boy. (laughs) Damn. These freaking colors are so freaking obvious. Freaking bench. That's the freaking poster of the freaking Forrest Gump. Are you kidding me? She's screaming, she's screaming, she's screaming, she's screaming. Why a bench? Why a bench? There's literally no reference to benches on any other movie. 
even Gabriel found that out. He's not even like smart. <sighs> For real? That's cold. They didn't even get to do any challenges. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even get to do any challenges. <laughs> Y'all. Oh, so that's th I'm crying. Don't we love it? I mean, speaking of good TV, like the bear is a certain kind of good TV. This was a certain kind of great TV. So this show is called Claim to Fame. And basically, relatives of celebrities have to try to keep contestants on this show from figuring out who they're related to. In the first episode, they figured out that this woman is actually Tom Hanks' niece. Her name is Carly Reeves, and she has given us some reality TV show audio and video that will go down in the Hall of Fame. And I just wanted you guys to have it. There you have yeah. it. Yeah, I want to. You want your mind to be blown about how good some people are at their jobs. I can tell you that the reality show production company that came up with this format and produced this show is the same company that made Love Is Blind. Like those are some oh. geniuses. Yeah, there you mm -hmm. go. Yep. Mm -hmm. Put them in the writers' room for the Bear season three. Let's see what <laughs> magic happens. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, my heart. <laughs> Catherine Van Arendonk, Nicholas Qua, two Vulture critics, thank you so much for your time today. I encourage you to channel the energy of the bear into your weekend and next week and not the energy of Harry and Meghan. Uh, I'll walk into a fridge right now. <laughs> thank you so much uh, for having me. I, I, I don't know how I've lived my life this long without that clip. I'm so happy right now. All right, Into It is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabby Grossman, Jelani Carter, and Taka Zen. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hokeman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. And the executive producer of audio at Vox Media is Nishat Kurwa. All right, listeners, enjoy your long holiday weekend. Maybe even use these few days off to go watch The Bear. Trust me. Season two is doing the work. All right, till next time. Bye. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.